0: It's a new year, and G220 Radio is back at it again. Episode number 513. We're talking about the 1689. Yeah, we're going to finish that series up this year. I promise you that. Probably here, I should say, in this month of January. We're going to finish out the 1689. We're doing Chapter 30 today. Chapter 30 of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith tonight here on G220 Radio. Man, there is so much going on in this new year. I hope you had... A wonderful time. I hope you enjoyed your holidays. I uh, hope you had a wonderful merry, Merry Christmas and a happy New Year. Uh, we are really excited about this new year here at G220 Radio. Mike is going to be with me tonight. He's running a little behind, so uh, I'm not going to have to fly solo on this one. Uh, thankfully, Mike will be here because I know he's probably got a lot to say about the Lord's Supper. I know this is some things that we've. There's some things that we have talked about and stated in the past dealing with the Lord's Supper, especially during the time of this quote-unquote pandemic that we are apparently going through. Uh, And so therefore, we definitely have much that we want to talk about here on the program tonight. And so I'm looking forward to when Mike comes in, because Mike hasn't been with us for a little while. It's been a couple weeks uh, that Mike's been away on vacation, enjoying his time with his family uh, and, and I'm excited to have Mike back. So I'm just anticipating Mike coming up on the screen here uh, soon. So there is a lot uh, to think about this year, G220. I know a lot of people make um, New Year's resolutions. I'm not really big in, in making New Year's resolutions, but one thing that I do think is a great thing to do uh, and and usually uh, a lot of churches do this. I know our pastor is doing it out of our church. And like I said, many of them, uh, many good, solid churches and pastors do, these, do this. Uh, I'm excited, so bear with me. Uh, it's been a long day, but I'm excited. And so hopefully I can spit these words out right. But they have these um, Bible reading plans that you can read through the Bible in a year or read through the Bible in a certain amount of time. Uh, if you don't want to do a year, if you want to do less, or if it needs, if you need to take longer, uh, I guess you could do that, but you can actually get through it uh, a lot faster than people think. And so rather than having a new year's resolution, I do want to encourage, I want to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to read the Bible, whether you do it in the year or you do it Earlier than that. You 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 get it in there uh, listening to the Bible via audio Bibles, uh reading a, a chapter a day or reading a book. I mean, honestly, you could get through the epistles in a pretty pretty good amount of time. Like you you could you could make it through uh if you go through Romans all the way through the end of the of the book of of the Bible. I mean, you could really get a lot. A lot accomplished in there, and some of these chapters. When you talk about Colossians and you talk about Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, you could get through those in a in a in a one short setting of reading through. And so, you can do it. You can read through the Bible. And so, I want to encourage you to do that this year. Uh, some other in house things that we want to talk about. We have a show that's going to be happening in the near future. Hopefully, Lord willing, uh, we had a show. Some of you may be wondering what happened. Last Thursday, we were supposed to do, uh, which would have been the last episode of the year, in a informal debate slash discussion uh, with a universalist. And so I titled the, this informal debate to be uh, a conversation or a debate with a, uh, or is the atonement universal, something along those lines. And we were unable to have that program due to some technical difficulties on our guest's side. He was not able to connect with us. Uh, His audio was not working. His video was not working. And so we hope to fix that. And if we can fix that, we we definitely want to have that conversation. This wasn't a conversation of Calvinist versus non-Calvinist talking about limited atonement. This was someone who believes that Everyone will be saved in the end. We're talking universal atonement. And so we definitely need to have that conversation with this man, want to have that conversation with this individual, because that's vitally important to not get that wrong. Because when people die, there's consequences to that. When you die apart from Christ, I should say, there is consequences to that. And so when you die without Christ, you spend an eternity under the wrath of God. It's not just this temporary thing. It's not annihilationism, as some of those uh, rethinking hell guys uh, like to say. It's the actual fact that you will stand before a holy God on the day of judgment, and you will be judged for your sin. And the wrath of God that was poured out upon Christ, that is not in your place because you rejected the free grace, the free offer of, of salvation, you will stand before him guilty and condemned without excuse and you will spend an eternity in hell. And this is a real, real important uh, thing to understand. And so we are definitely going to uh, try to get that conversation to happen. We were disappointed that it did not happen. We really wanted to have that conversation. And so we're, again, looking forward to trying to reschedule that. As I said in the beginning, before the show officially started, uh, G220 Radio is going to wrap up the 1689 this year. I I promise you that we will wrap it up. There's 32 chapters in the 1689. And this has been a project that's been going on now for, man, a couple of years, a couple of years. Now, obviously we could have wrapped this up if we just would have went through 32 right in a a row. But when we began this, we had some pastors that were coming in and helping us. And we still have people that have come on and and helped us uh, get through the 1689 but one of the things was we were trying to spread it out. So it wasn't like every week we were taking uh, these guys time that was coming onto the program. And also we had other shows that we were trying to throw in there in the mix. And so we were unable to just kind of complete it. And then there were some times where we got on other uh, kicks, uh, so to speak of, of ideas and things that we needed to talk about or address on the program. And so we did. And, and that's my daughter's uh, uh, kitty cat back there. I just noticed it's um, changing color. So, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, she brought that in the office with me. Uh, So, like I say, we're going to finish it, though, this year. Uh, Definitely going to get it done. We're going to cover Chapter 30 today, Chapter 31 next week, and then Chapter 32 the following week. We will end the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And I am really looking forward to wrapping up this series Uh, We hold to the 1689 here at G220 Radio. Uh, It's a great confession. I know our Presbyterian brothers think we just copied the Westminster, uh, but we corrected it. So you could say we copied it, but we just corrected it and uh, made it more reformed. So anyway, uh, we are definitely, uh, I love you, my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. We love the Westminster Confession. Uh, I think that when you have these confessions, like we've stated on, on many other episodes of G220 Radio dealing with the confessions or creeds and, and church history, how important it is to have these. Uh, so in today's age, there are so many churches that have such a vague, vague uh, statement of faith. It's, it's ambiguous. It, it's, it's, it's very general to where you look at it and you say, yeah, I can agree with that. Those are biblical things that I can say I agree with. But what is their view of this or that or something else? And you really don't know unless you get in there and you, you go in and visit a few times and maybe ask questions of the pastor of what they teach. And then sometimes you find out that general statement was a reason why it was general and vague, because they're not holding to biblical truth. And I think what we see with these confessions, right, the 1689, the Westminster, the Savoy, the Philadelphia, these confessions are there as a means a statement of faith very detailed statement of faith 1689 has 32 chapters a very detailed statement of faith to keep you and guard you from going outside the bounds of of the bible which is the final authority so there are 1689 churches that to be a member of the church you can maybe have some disagreements in certain areas of the 1689 but to be a teacher within those churches you can't you have to agree fully with the 1689. And I'm I'm guarantee it's the same in in with the presbyterians with the Westminster or those who hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you don't agree to aspects of it, you can't really be an elder or a teacher of that within those types of churches. And that's understandable because you want your people to not be confused in the doctrine, you want them to learn and understand while rightly knowing that the the scriptures are always the final authority. They're always the top. It's never the confession goes over uh, the scripture. No, what the confession is doing, like when we started with chapter one, dealing with the, of the holy scriptures, what we were doing there is laying out the foundation. And that's what the writers were doing when they were writing out the 1689. Let's let's lay out the foundation that we believe these truths from or about our faith from the scriptures. How else are we going to know it? I mean, you have people like Marcus Rogers out there and so many others who have these ideas, these uh, prophecies, these getting uh, things just spoken to them by God. How do you test those things? So the 1689 starts it out with, of the Holy Scriptures. It's really loud, Mike. Sorry. How's that? Oh, that's not good. How's that? It doesn't sound good. Just bear with us. uh, These technical difficulties... Mike's been away. I think he forgot how to work his sound system.
1: (laughs) How's that?
0: That is better, man. Whatever it was, it was coming through. It was killing my ears. Like it was loud. (laughs) So
1: yeah, it looks like it was coming through my webcam.
0: Ah, there we go. All right. So let's get this back on track. Mike, brother i am so so glad to see you so glad to have you back uh, on the program hope you enjoyed your time away uh, i was just basically stating how the 1689 starts out with the the scriptures because the scriptures informs everything else that we believe we can't we can't where it's not like we're getting these new revelations from god that he's speaking to us and now telling us something new about god if it doesn't if you can't find it in the word of god if it isn't be able to be backed up from the word of god then it's not of God, right? Because he's not going to contradict himself. He's not going to give new revelation that is going to go against his word. And that's why these confessions keep us guarded. Again, they're not above scripture, but they keep us guarded from going outside the bounds of what scripture teaches. So Mike, I know you've been away for two weeks. We're getting into the the Lord's Supper. I've already mentioned that I know you probably got some things to say. We've We've talked about this a little bit when we, during the time of the pandemic of you know these churches yep. online just doing uh, communion, people taking it. And matter of fact, I don't know if you saw this, but I just seen this on on uh, Twitter the other day, LaCray, or maybe it was I don't know, it was sometime okay. I seen it where he was taking communion at home. And we talked about that in the past, but I, I guarantee it's going to come up tonight. So, Mike, brother, tell us how you're doing. Let's get into this. Tell us what your your thoughts are about this cha- uh, chapter thirty. Let's, I mean, I want to hear from you, brother. It's been a while. Yeah.
1: It's been a while. Yeah, it's been good. Um, obviously, I got to listen to those two episodes um, that I missed. I had some travel down to Florida to the in-laws, spent some time away in Savannah, Georgia for our um, my wife and I's 10th anniversary. So we got away from the kids a little bit, got to spend some time traveling where Wesley traveled. You know uh wesley came to the united states once and he came to savannah georgia mm. and Didn't it becomes an important part yeah it becomes an important part of his own story when he meets the german pious who focused on piety um maybe too much so and he was really saw their devotion and during storms they would be together and pray and they had this peace and that unsettled him as his Anglican and, and pardon maybe in his own words that he's not saved. His conversion happens when he gets back to England, but this is part of some of his life of it. And so, yeah, um, we got to see some other things and um, kind of enjoy our time there. And Savannah and, um, ready to get back, ready for the Lord's Supper. This is obviously a topic we have said things on. Yeah. And including the Lecrae statement um, that he posted on Twitter about having, I think it was like a bun and apple juice or something like that. I don't remember mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, from it. But yeah,
0: he was in
1: yeah. air. I'm going to say, I'll say it right now. He was in air in doing it. And we'll probably, we'll, um, probably look at it when we see yeah,
0: it we'll here. touch we'll touch on it. I'm sure here, um, as we get into this, let me turn this back up because I had to turn that down, man. I was like, whoa Mike, you're killing my ears. All right, so let's bring this on. We're gonna bring on the sixteen eighty nine here. We're bringing it on as our guest and we're gonna deal with the sixteen eighty nine. read through this here. So the Lord's Supper, this is of the Lord's Supper, chapter thirty of the sixteen eighty nine uh, and we're looking at it here from founders. um, so it's more of the the modern English. Um, And so here we go. The supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night he was betrayed. It is to be observed in his churches to the end of the age as a perpetual remembrance and display of the sacrifice of himself in his death. It is given for the confirmation of the faith of believers in all the benefits of Christ's death, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him and their further engagement in and to all the duties they owe him the supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion with Christ and each other man that's a that's a, a very full paragraph to start off this uh, uh dealing with the of the lord's supper here in chapter 30 go ahead mike
1: yeah i mean we see it right away and i think it's important to Emphasize that the Lord's Supper was instituted by the Lord Jesus. So mm-hmm. we see um in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this time in which he gathers with his believers on the night he is betrayed. Even Judas the Iscariot is there. Jesus tells him, holds, gives him a morsel of bread and tells him to do what he's been called to do and to look at it and to see it um i don't think i mean it's not only is it in matthew mark and luke you see elements of what this means in john a lot of people think john doesn't cover this um in the detail because you have matthew mark and luke by the time john writes his gospel but he writes other things like i am he talks about how he is the bread of life how he is um, kind of dealing and talking about these issues kind of through the I am statements. And so John doesn't rehearse this environment. In fact, he talks about the foot washing, which a lot of people try to make an ordinance in and of themselves. Um, But we see here that the Lord's Supper is instituted by Christ. And so we're called to do it. It's to be observed in the churches to the end of the age. Again, this comes with Jesus's own words that, that they should come together and that he won't eat of the vine again until he returns. Mm -hmm. And having this idea of that there to continue to practice this again, um, we see the references in Corinthians, Paul, talks about it in that way that when they come together, they are to meet together. Um,
0: to I don't want to do pull that up. Lord's I don't, Supper. I didn't mean to click on it. I was just trying to get on it here. Cause I, you never know what's going to come yeah. up on the screen when they, you're clicking on some site. So, and let's see here.
1: So Yeah, and they're. I mean, you can see it in the first Corinthian 11 that they're taking this from reference, um, that delivered to you when he was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks. And so, we see this kind of now why, as Baptists, we hold to and Protestants in general hold to there's two sacraments or ornaments baptism, which we covered last time in chapter 29 and now we're talking about the lord's supper as the two in which god has given to us to worship to come together as a church which he's already we've already kind of talked about um, even a few chapters later to come and uh, observe these ordinances as he's dictated us to worship so we see even here kind of the regulatory principle played out in how we are to observe these ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of the elements, right now, I, I I believe and I believe rightly. I'm not saying I believe rightly. I believe that it is practiced rightly by the churches that hold to do this as often as you come together. Now, the the elements of which that they are partaking is to be wine and bread. Now I understand that there are those churches that do grape juice in replace of the wine, and I I believe that to be acceptable, you know, as as a means to do this. And sometimes I know there's little um, depending on the kind of bread, maybe little cracker wafer, like a uh, yeah, a little wafer that some churches will do to to do that to break bread. But the most important thing is it's taking place within the body, right? And now the 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 amount of regularity of how often you do it. I think the scriptures tell us as often as you come together. Now there are some churches that will break bread every week. And uh, I think that's probably the most biblical way I would think, because every time you're coming together, but I understand the reason why some churches may do it once a month. Um, because of the fact that they, I've, I've heard from from some pastors that they believe that it, um, they don't want people to just do it flippantly. Uh, they want okay. them to understand the importance of it. But I think you can still do that week by week and express that to people as long as they're being taught. This is the importance of doctrine, right? Of teaching, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of ways that this is to. Well, I shouldn't say there's a lot of ways. There's there's a few different things within the elements being whether it's bread, uh, some type of, of of wafer, and uh, a and either wine or grape juice, but it's not just a can of Pepsi or taking it at home with apple juice or some Kool-Aid or you know taking it with cookies or, or it's there's there's a purpose behind it. It's to represent the body and blood of Christ and to be done under the authority of the local church. I know that that makes some people mad because some people think you can do it in any context. Like we talked about once before where during the pandemic. And so people were taking it at home amongst themselves or Lecrae who just took it at home amongst himself. And some people may, may think that that's okay to do that. I don't believe so. And I don't think the 1689 leaves room for that.
1: Mm-hmm. And you see it like, and they they explain it and obviously they'll go into detail, but you even see it here early on in the first paragraph. So it's it is given for the confirmation of the faith of believers in all benefits of Christ's death. So we remember Christ's death on the cross for their spiritual nourishment and their growth in him. So there is this continuing of idea. Calvin would talk we use the terms means of grace. Yeah. Um This is a means of grace that God has given to us that we take this time to think about what Christ has done and to, and in one sense in continuation with this is that it's the physical display of the gospel that Christ laid down his life for us. And we do this. And then so when we take the bread and the wine, as it's given to us in scripture, our faith is strengthened, but the kind of where you see it in the kind of the last sentence, the suppers to be the bound and the pledge of their communion with Christ and each other. Mm. You see the idea now with each other is the church. This isn't just I want to do it at home. Maybe it's just me and some friends, but that we come together as a church. And together, we receive the blessings from the table, the means of grace from the table to help us and to grow one another and to, in one sense, celebrate what Christ has done. He has set us free from the bounds. The the Lord's table is to be one of thinking and to complicate what God has done. But at the same time, it's supposed to be a joyous time. Christ has given us victory over sin. Christ has defeated our punishment. We will reign with him forever in heaven. These are joyous things which we are reminded when we come to the table. Now I've said this times, and our listeners probably know my church does practice it every week. I think that's the biblical model and the early church that the early church does it. In fact, the Catholic Church continues. Yeah, the Catholic Church still does it every week. Obviously, there's has a different meaning, but just to look at their practice that they are doing it every week. And. You know what we say about communion, you mentioned it like, they you don't know, it's flippant. Well, sermons are kind of important, too. We do them right. Right. Singing's kind of important for church services. and We do that every week. Mm-hmm. We listen to God's word every week when we come to worship. We pray every week in our churches. There's you not know, Sundays. I mean, maybe there are some in some churches, but there's not Sundays in which there's no prayer. We're not going to pray this week because we don't want you to do it flippantly. I think what we see here in the Lord's Supper, kind of the, the importance of doing it regularly, more often than not, is that when we are conscious about what we're doing, especially connected with the sermon, we won't come at it flippantly unless we've come to that service flippantly, unless our hearts are spiritually cold, um, and not receptive to the spirit's work in the service.
0: Yeah. So you know my that, sorry. I was gonna say, man, that's a great point. One I, I really wasn't even thinking along those lines. I just when people say that to me, I'm just like, yeah, no, I mean it's it's the Lord's table. And ultimately, if the person's heart isn't right, like you're saying, then they're not gonna come to it with the correct, you know, uh, motive or intent behind it anyway. Yeah. But I mean man, when you're you're sitting there and you were saying that and I was thinking, yeah, he, man, that's a great way to explain it. Like we don't look at the singing or the prayers or the preaching every week and say, "Well, we're not going to preach this week because we have done that already last week." And I don't want you guys to take that, you know, and and start thinking the preaching is just flippant. Like we don't do that. It's part of the practice, you know. So yeah. I, man, I, I really that's a great I, I'm going to use that for now on whenever I'm having those conversations because I was I was sitting there listening to you and I'm like And that's a great way to explain it.
1: Yeah, I think, and to, I mean, I'm not, it's not original with me. I'll give credit. My pastor, when we went from monthly to weekly, that was one of his arguments for why we should do weekly, that we do other things weekly that are in some sense, maybe not as important, which is really hard, weird to say um, in that way. But I think there's also the organic connection between the sermon with Christ lifted up high and then coming together to enjoy a fellowship meal, rejoicing in the Savior we just heard proclaimed. Mm. There's this connection there. And one thing my pastor is very good about, we don't recite the 1 Corinthians 11 passage every Sunday. But every Sunday, my pastor brings together the sermon and the importance of what we're doing in the communion, why we come to the table. And so it's not flippant. No, it's connecting it to the word that we just heard. And now we get to partake together as a body being strengthened with not only the word preached, but now the word displayed in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Again, bringing that encouragement, bringing that nourishment, reminding us of the duties that we have him. Just as baptism, when we see people baptized, we, as those who have been baptized, remember our baptism and is encouraged by the baptism to continue on this path of holiness. Yep. And this is why both baptism and the Lord's Supper are such great means to the church, means of grace to the church to strengthen us in what we are doing because we live in a weary land and are easily discouraged.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's another thing there too. I have been in some churches in the past or visited some churches that when it was time that did not practice the Lord's uh supper on a a we, uh, weekly basis. Uh, my church does it once a month except for during the time of uh this last month of December we did it every week. Um but they don't my pastor does not do what i've seen in some churches where they they will that whole service is about the communion and so like you said they'll, they'll just have they'll preach from 1st corinthians you know uh or they'll preach from the a short from when the lord actually instituted the lord's table and then it's usually shorter so like if a sermon is normally 30 45 minutes it's like 20 minutes and then you take communion and like what I see, and at our church now, even though we do it once a month, my pastor just preaches whatever he's preaching through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then I've, I've been in churches that were a little more reformed in their theology, 1689 or whatnot. And like you said, they connect their service. Because this is the great thing of preaching Christ in all the scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. You're always going to be able to connect it because Christ is in, the, whole, the scriptures are about Christ. And so you could be preaching from the Old Testament. From Leviticus, you know, uh, like we had your pastor on in the past and we talked about, you know, what's in Leviticus there. So um, you could be preaching from that and see it, you know what I mean? In Christ is there and then speak about that. So those are important things. Let's move on to paragraph two. I'm sure you probably have more you can throw in there, but if we don't move on to paragraph through two, we're going to be doing paragraph two next week. And so uh, here we go. And Larry's asking a question there. Do you review the Lord's Table? I'm not really sure what you're asking when you say review it, uh, Larry. Maybe you mean fence it or hedge it. Um, not sure what you mean by that. But if uh, if you want to clarify. All right. So it says, in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to His Father, nor is any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin of the living or the dead. It is only a memorial of the one offering Christ made of Himself on the cross once for all. It is also a spiritual offering of the highest possible praise to God for the sacri- for that sacrifice. Thus, the Roman Catholic uh, sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is utterly detestable and detracts from Christ's own sacrifice, which is the only propitiation for all the sins of the elect. And so even when I started reading that, knowing the 1689 already, but as you start reading that, you can just, feel and sense it's going towards Rome in that. And Larry's asking, is it the same thing? Just real quick. I think he, I think he's referring, I'm, I'm confused with the review, but, um, like, I'm not sure if he's actually, what he's saying is like, Oh, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. Is that what you think he's asking?
1: Yeah. I think he's, um, looking at first Corinthians 10, 21. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'll have to. I'll look it up here. Um, as I'm looking yeah, well, up, but yeah, to as I'm looking up to consider what the um the catechism says or the confession says that um this idea of Rome. So obviously, in Rome, that you have um every i mean every day they practice the lord's supper you have this re-sacrificing of christ this re um again the sacrifice is given up to him and so they're responding to the idea that in the mass christ is repeatedly over and over again being sacrificed and being offered up to the father and that in doing so you are and partaking of that you are um receiving merits of grace there is that idea of um somehow in taking the lord's supper you are better off um because of it that in some sense, your sins have been covered, and they're they're making distinction that this isn't a new sacrifice. This is a memorial. We're remembering what is being done, and that the idea then of the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the mass flies in the face is saying that christ's sacrifice wasn't enough he has to be re-sacrificed every sunday every i mean it points every day yeah if you're a true catholic that shows that his work hasn't been completed it needs to be continually repeated by the priest every time it happens and so they're obviously This is an important issue during the time. The Reformation is 170 years old at this point. um, Since the the nailing of the 95 Theses. And so this is... um, I guess you have to take it. You have to show, look, we are not Catholic. We don't believe in trans I think which is what they'll talk about Um, and a little bit later. But that what is happening is spiritual, but it's not sacrificial. And that's kind of the important distinction they're trying to make. Yeah. Because Christ offered himself once. For For
0: all. Yep.
1: For all. And that his sacrifice is for that covers the wrath of God for the elect, the propitiation of all the sins of the right. elect, as it says there. So, you know, that that's a, making that distinction. We're not coming together to sacrifice Christ again. He's done that. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. coming together to remember that sacrifice and to give mm-hmm. praise to God for that sacrifice. Yeah. And so I think that's um, the important distinction that they're trying to make with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like when, when you think about what's taking place and, and I I like the way that they lay it out here of saying that the Roman Catholic sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is utterly detestable and detracts from Christ's own sacrifice. Because a lot of people think that this is just like, it's a ritual ritual that's taking place, which it is a ritual. It's this liturgy that, that takes place within the Roman Catholic church. But every time a mass is being performed they are claiming that the priest has the power to pull Christ down into this little wafer and they allow these people to come up and they feed it to them. They allow them to take, take a bite of this, this wafer and they put a little basket underneath them so that if any of those crumbs drip, it doesn't go on the ground because that's Christ's body. Uh And then when it comes to the wine, They don't even allow them to drink it because they don't want anything to get spilled because that's Christ's blood. It's just the priest drinking that. So they don't even get to experience the Lord's Supper. They don't get to because they only get to take a wafer and it's done in a way that actually is detestable, as it says here, and it detracts from Christ's sacrifice of that remembrance. And yes, it is a spiritual thing. We do believe that Christ is present but not in the wafer, not in the the wine. And so um, I think what Larry is saying, he says, uh, review has gone over. I just joined in here. Uh, Let me just throw that up there. He says, I missed the first half. But dealing with uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 21, it says, um, I had it here. Let me, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Um, So I do believe that everybody, when they come to the table, Before you even come to church, you should have already been examining your heart and preparing yourself for the worship of God coming together. But then as you're partaking of the table, uh, I know the way some churches do it, they give you a time to kind of repent of any sins, to take a moment to to think about um, if there's anything that's keeping you from being right with God, to get right with God before you partake. Some churches have a fencing around their table where they don't allow people to take it. Um... And some, in some sense, let's, let's say like some will say, unless you've talked to one of the elders of the church and share, was able to share your testimony with them and you are a member of, a, of a, a good standing, you are a member in good standing of a solid local biblical church, come and tell us those things and then we will allow you to partake when you visit with us. But if you have not been able to do that, we don't want you to take because we don't want to bring judgment upon you. And we also want to fence that table because we take it seriously. Some others have open communion where they allow people to take it and they'll they'll tell people, look, if you take this in an unworthy manner, then um, that's on you. But we're warning you about that, but we still leave it open to you to take because we don't know your heart. We don't know if you're a member of a local church. And so I don't don't know if that's exactly what he said. Close communion, open communion. I'm not not sure if that's what he was referring to.
1: I think what he's referring to is, so it says the Lord's table there and it's talking in context about eating food sacrificed to idols. And so is the Lord's table there the same thing as the Lord's Supper or coming to the Lord's Supper. Um the NIV just was what I pulled out real quick has the heading idol feast in the Lord's Supper. So there may be some understanding of if you're practicing sacrificing or in part of partaking of sacrificing with idols you can't also um, come to the Lord's table and practice the Lord's supper. Mm -hmm. Um, You would be having communion with both the demons and Jesus. And he's kind of arguing against that. And then he'll later argue about knowing which meat and whatever's a little bit later. So kind of in response, I think um, without going much deeper than what I have, it seems that the Lord's table here is in reference to also the Lord's supper and coming to the supper. Um, and so I think that's kind of how it is without much more depth. Um, Yeah. I don't know if I can give a better answer.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's, let's get into this here. Otherwise, I mean, I I made a promise in the beginning of this show that we were going to get through the 1689 this month. So we got to do this. All right. So, um, Here we go. Uh, Paragraph three. In this ordinance, the Lord Jesus has appointed his ministers to pray and to bless the elements of the bread and wine. And in this way, to set them apart from a communion or from from a common to a holy use, they are to take and break the bread, take the cup, and give both the the communicants while also participating themselves.
1: So, yeah, this is kind of straightforward. Again, this is kind of countering what you were mentioning about Catholic communion and how it's practiced at this time. I don't even think the um, parishioners as they would call them were able to take the bread and the wine. I think that is a later development in Catholic um, ecclesiology. And so here they're just affirming that everyone Takes it. Everyone gets bread. Everyone gets the cup, and and it's also not just like the pastor lording it over and thinking he's exempt. He also partakes of this, showing in one sense that he's on an equal plane with the rest of the people.
0: Yeah. Now I've seen, I've seen, I've seen where. There are some uh, Reformed churches that the elders will get up, they'll pray over it, they'll break it. And then there's the elders that just, you know, um, pass it around. And then there's others that will allow deacons to come up and help serve that. I've seen some where they say only the elders can do that. I am not of that persuasion. I think so long as the, the elders, the pastors are the ones over it, praying over it, breaking it, and then giving it out to, others to serve that the the deacons to serve that i think that that is uh legitimate as well you know what i mean i don't think it's
1: yeah i mean i've been in churches where you walk up
0: and get it and, yourself yeah
1: and you get it um yourself or you're served it by a deacon um and to i mean to to think about you know it's the ordinance of the Lord Jesus has appointed his ministers to pray and bless the elements and to take a, to take a break and to take the cup and to give it to both. So I think you have this kind of the, the idea of setting apart that we take what is common bread and wine or grape juice, and they're set apart for holy use. And, and, in the blessing of from the minister and asking for blessing from the Lord, they're set apart. So you see this again within the structure God has given to us that he's appointed ministers to oversee his church. And now these are the ones who are overseeing the Lord's table. And they are in one sense, the line in which um god will choose to bless bless them and it's not this succession you know of power giving from the pope to the cardinals and and down through but that it's it's the local church and established kind of in that in that ecclesiastical element it's the local church that brings apart um with it and you know to kind of think about lecrae's comment did he is he a minister of the lord did he bless it before as a minister i mean i i don't know i've never heard him be a minister never had people refer him in that way and if that's the case but i you see here this um Again, God has given the church a structure to operate in and the confession is honoring that structure that God has given.
0: Yeah. Now, Larry asked a question about it. Should it be taken individually or corporately? So like as it's being passed out, should you just go ahead and take it or wait corporately? Um, I think that or take it all together, And I think when you're doing that corporately as a church is probably the way most churches would practice that today, although there may be some that are different. I don't know about in church history how they did that as the bread was being passed around, if they broke it and they waited until everybody had one or not. You know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure on that myself, how they may have done that. But I think it's developed over the time. And he even says he likes it as a corporate together once you get it then usually the the elder or pastor will say some other things like this is the bread. We're breaking this as a remembrance of his body. And then we, we eat. Right. And so it's to keep the, the church in uniform, like uniformity, like uh, in unity in, in, in in corporately, you know, partaking together. And so, all right, let's go on to to number four here. Uh, Denying the cup to people, denying the cup to the people, worshiping the the elements lifting them up or carrying them around for adoration or reserving them for some pretend pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of this ordinance and to the institution of Christ. Again, this is another direct, um, I don't want to say shot, but in response to what takes place in Rome.
1: Yeah. Basically, um, if you've never been to a Catholic church, um, Prayers are done um, getting the bread and the wine out of the Holy of Holies. It's a box in the back of the or behind the priest on the the platform. Where um, you even have to pray just to get onto the platform. The this being it set apart. And. They go, they have to pray, they pull it out and it's lifted up. The wafer is lifted up and it's set aside. And you see this kind of worship and adorning of it and reserving it. It's put aside. It's, it's hidden um, for it. And so again, they're just, they're recognizing the, how, the Catholic Church kind of structures the Lord's Supper. And in this case, they were attacking kind of some of the theology behind it and what was happening during the Mass. Now they're denying kind of how they deliver the Mass. That the cup should go to all the people. It's we're not worshiping these elements. These elements aren't Jesus, these We're not carrying them around and and having this kind of worship with them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so the counter would be that we take the elements and we see them as they are. They're the bread, they're the wine, and they are common elements that have been set aside for holy use. And they're not representing Jesus. They're not holding any other kind of factor in which adorns them with some sort of ability or even bringing them to the point in which we can seemingly worship them.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's go here to number paragraph five. The outward elements in this ordinance properly set apart for the use ordained by Christ have such a relationship to Christ crucified that they are sometimes called truly, though figuratively, by the names of the things they represent, that is, the body and the blood of Christ. However, in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. And again, this is still continuing to... Uh, be a response to the idea uh, that is taught through the Roman Catholic Church of the transubstantiation, that it becomes, like, really becomes the blood and really becomes the body of it, of of Christ.
1: Yeah, I mean, we could go ahead and do six, too, because that directly... Yeah,
0: all right, let uh, me read that. Uh, the doctrine commonly called transubstantiation teaches that the substance of bread and wine is changed into the substance of Christ's body and blood by the consecration of the of a priest or some other or some other way. This doctrine is hostile not only to scripture but also to the co- to common sense and reason. It destroys the nature of the ordinance and has been and is the cause of many kinds of superstitious and of go
1: ahead so, yeah so we can see in those two paragraphs that um the bread is the bread the wine is the wine it doesn't change and kind of to understand this we're gonna have to go greek philosophical that i think it's aristotle i think plato also um touched on this but that things have are basically kind of inst- are essential to what they are and then accidental to what they are and so kind of one kind of easy way to explain it to kind of think about it is as humans what makes humans humans will they have a body and a soul and it's it's a reasonable soul They can think for themselves. So that's what essentially a human is. But sin is not what makes a human. Now, I'm not denying original sin. But sin, just because a person has sin, doesn't mean that sin is essential for someone to be a person. Now, if that was the case, Jesus um, couldn't be a person. He couldn't be a sinless person. He would have to be a sinful person. So what makes us human kind of as essential and what's called essential and then as an accident, as accidental is the language they use. Sin is added to our nature. But sin is not not necessary for nature to be in our nature. Obviously Genesis one shows that. So what they're saying here to use kind of this term is that the substance of the bread and the wine change to the literal body and blood of Jesus. While the form doesn't change. So it mm-hmm. still looks like bread. It still looks like wine. But the the substance has changed. That's mm-hmm. um kind of the idea, the understanding of what it is. So Roman Catholicism see,
0: was the first to to, to identify trans substance. <laughs> Sorry, it was yeah, bad. they
1: created, I mean it developed yeah. over time, <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I mean this is how Aquinas is talking about, it. and this becomes important that even Aquinas has to cover what would happen if a mouse got a wafer that has mm-hmm. been consecrated by a priest? Cause now the mouse, which is common has something that is holy. He's eating the blood, the body of Christ. Yeah. Like this is a big deal in co- Catholic theology. That's why mm-hmm. they catch the crumbs. Cause you don't want a mouse eating the body of Christ. Right. And it's absurd and it shouldn't be absurd.
0: I mean, this is, I don't know what they do. Maybe you do. Maybe somebody else does. That's watching. What do they do with that afterwards? That's what I want to know. I've, I've only been to a Catholic church when I was a quit. What's that?
1: They put it in the wine. So the priest will take it and he'll rub his hand on the crumbs and drop it in the wine. And then he'll drink it with the wine. Mm. So just to ensure that none of the crumbs are, um, wasted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. So so I'm learning some new things here tonight.
1: Yeah. And so what five and six are really are trying to say is like, we don't believe the bread and wine change. It's it's bread and it's wine. And that's what they have. Now Their embodiment of sig of, um, figurative symbols. Jesus says, this is my body which has been broken to you. And so when we see the bread and we break the bread, this now becomes the symbol that represent what Christ has done. When we take the, the wine and we read about how Christ shed his blood, which is the new wine of the covenant. We remember that this wine represents the new covenant. And that's kind of why they use the words in um, chapter five of um, although in terms used figuratively, like we understand Jesus isn't really talking that this, that we're eating his blood or drinking his blood or eating his bread, which for a little church history fact, the Romans thought, Christians were cannibals because of the language being used. There are theories that they would break a baby inside bread and eat the baby and drink its blood. Like these are legitimate complaints against the Christians in Roman times because they weren't allowed to be part of the feast, the agape Mm -hmm. feast, the love feast, which also led to other ideas of what happens in these feasts. Um, that are clearly contrary to scripture because they right. didn't know. Right. And again, that language is confusing. But when we understand it, when we when we I guess it's not really confusing. You kind of know he's talking figuratively, Right. Especially if you know the old testament and how they're not supposed to eat other humans. Blood.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And you know, drink their blood. That that these are symbols, that these are important elements to to be part
0: of. Yeah. Now I think we will wrap this up tonight here, this chapter, uh, because it's g 20 radio. We can go over a little bit here and and we can do that. Um, <clears throat> so let's go to number seven here. Paragraph seven worthy. Now this is one that I think is more familiar in, in some reformed churches, uh, because most people do it only symbolically. Um, and they don't believe this the spiritual aspect of it. Uh but here let's read it and then we can talk about it. Uh worthy recipient recipient I can't even speak. Let me let me get this out here. Worthy recipients who outwardly partake of the visible elements in this ordinance also by faith inwardly receive and feed on Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. They do so really and truly, yet not physically and bodily, but spiritually. The body and blood of Christ are not present bodily or physically in the ordinance, but spiritually to the faith of believers, just as the elements themselves are present to their outward senses. So, that spiritual aspect of it um, that I've seen more in ref- in more Reformed churches, um, not so much in in the non-Reformed uh, IFB kind of churches that I kind of grew up in. That was not the same understanding. But they believed it was just, it was a symbolism, which we do believe that it is a symbol. It's a sign of the death and burial, or the death and, and bloodshed of Christ, his body and, and, and blood. But he spiritually is present. God is present spiritually when we are partaking of that. And that's what this paragraph here is, is referring to. Mike?
1: Yeah, I think that's important notice. This is... Um... And, and the line, if we think about Protestant understanding of the Lord's Supper, um, the Lutherans are constant...
0: Constantiation. Yeah, yeah.
1: Where Jesus is in, is around the body, or around, and so you're spiritually eating. Um, and then you have Swiss reformer that I just forgot his name, um, who held to the other side and um, of this more meremb- meremb- spiritual remembrance aspect, um, and Calvin fits in the middle. He kind of has a kind of in that in that range, and what you as you said, I I don't think it's just IFB either. Um, I think larger evangelicalism.
0: Was it Zwingli? Outside of
1: Zwingli, yes.
0: I had to look it up. <laughs> um,
1: that holds, that kind of has this, it's just a remembrance. There isn't kind of anything spiritually going on. Um, I think it's a lot brighter, broader than um, just inter- the independent fundamental Baptist With him, But I think with Zwingli and Calvin and kind of the line that I have, and this is what I think is reflected here in the 1689, that there is something spiritually happening when we partake of communion. This is, again, the idea of means of grace that they would kind of be known as um, collectively with it. That we are in remembering what has been done, spiritually partaking of what we have. Wow. We're to remember what these elements stand for and to be with them. So we and and how they do it spiritually we really do partake of the bread of the of the body and the blood because Christ is with us and we're remembering what he has done he is in one sense partaking with us as we proclaim his death um but he's not with us bodily he's not with us physically but he's with us spiritually he's there with us and i think we lose that I think just overall I think this plays out a lot of our ecclesiology in um, modern day evangel and uh, modern day um, evangelicalism that we don't see the spiritual nature of the songs we sing the preaching we hear the ordinance that we do they're just things we do and I think this 1699 here reminds us that we do do something spiritual here. There is something happening when we come together to the table to worship what the sun has done and to remember what it meant for us to have salvation. Yeah. And to be with it. And that's what Zwingli pushed on. I mean, Luther, Luther and Zwingli could have gained an alliance, um, and but this is the issue they broke over. Luther did not want to get rid of his view. Zwingli wasn't going to get rid of his view, and it separated the Reformation from Lutheran to the Reformed view, and it even cost Zwingli his life because. Mm-hmm. Luther wouldn't help him in a battle, wouldn't send people to partake of him because he thought he was wrong. Um, Not the maybe smartest decision Luther made, but it was one that he made. But I mean, you can kind of see even here the seriousness of the Lord's Supper that even separated Zwingli and Luther.
0: Yeah. All right, and now for our final um, paragraph here. Uh, it says, that's so I can read that. All ignorance and ungodly people are unfit to enjoy communion with Christ and are thus unworthy of the Lord's table. As long as they remain in this condition, they cannot partake of these holy mysteries or be admitted to the Lord's table without committing a great sin against Christ. All those who receive the supper unworthily are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, eating and drinking judgment on themselves. Now, we kind of talked about hedging the table a little bit earlier, um, because I thought that's what what Larry was um, referring to when he was asking the question. Um, But this is really what's being stated here is like people that are ungodly, that are unsaved, they're not permitted to partake of the Lord's table. Now, that doesn't mean that every time a, a pastor or elders are, are, are trying to screen and, and hedge the table that there won't be some people that get by. But they're trying to warn and keep people from doing this because, one, they're not they're not worthy of this in the sense that none of us are worthy. Ultimately, we're made right by Christ being in his righteousness— But when they do this in an unworthy manner, they're eating and drinking judgment upon themselves, as the scriptures tell us. And that's just um, basically what is being laid out here in this paragraph. This is why a lot of churches do hedge the table, why they either make it closed completely where it's only members so that they're responsible for those members within that church, or it's, it's not maybe a closed to only membership, but it is hedged or fenced in such a way that they make sure, they try to make sure that if somebody's visiting, that they talk to that person and find out. oh, okay, are you just visiting? Because you do belong to another church in another area and you're passing through town or you're visiting family, and then they can know what your story is and allow you to partake of their Lord's table or not. And then again, you have those that just open it up to anybody. And so you don't even know. You know, and, and what we know about, like I was down in Kentucky years ago and I went to Southeast Christian, which is a large church. You're talking thousands and thousands. I mean, in not in just single digits, but like double digit number, thousands of people. Right. And they give communion every week. And so everybody just takes it. And I remember I was there visiting my brother who was attending this church and my mom was with me. And my daughter was with me, my oldest daughter, and they were passing this communion around. My daughter did not take it because she's not a believer and she knows I would say no. But my mom took it as not a believer. She just took it, you know, and I'm like, that's a serious thing, right? Um, but you're going to have people that are just going to partake of that with without being hedged. And that's why I think there are those churches that try to hedge that the best that they can so that people aren't drinking and eating this judgment upon themselves.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's important to notice that. um, This paragraph is directed to the unbelievers. There is there is a sense in which you kind of read this, that while the pastors may hedge and to say verbally, you're if you're unworthy to take this, don't take it and give the warning that they're not kind of held responsible for it. Yeah. Like there's nothing in here about them not, um, they're doing it. It's focused on the ignorant and the ungodly people. They're unfit for communion. Mm -hmm. Now as a pastor, I mean, there's going to be, you, or as someone who passes communion out every once in a while, I kind of know who's made professions and not, and, and I'm, you know, may not offer or walk past and it's kind of known with it. But ultimately, it is the unbelievers' own actions that condemn him. He should heed the instructions to not partake of it. Um, because they're gonna be drinking judgment. They are proclaiming the Lord's death that they don't believe in. Yeah. They're partaking of spiritual things as unholy people. Right. People have not been ransomed by the blood of Christ. And so it is a great sin because they don't believe the message being preached Mm -hmm. with the table. Right. And by partaking of it, there's an incentive which can I use James language? They're double-minded. They're of the world and doing what the world does. And then they also want kind of the spiritual blessings of the Lord's Supper. And this is just saying, no, I mean you can't. You can't, as First Corinthians 10, 21, as we saw earlier. You can't be in both it's one or the other and if you do it unworthily i mean paul tells us people died in the church yeah. of corinth because they took the lord's supper in an unworthy manner this right. is a serious thing and the unbeliever in the church should know what they do if they do this they risk ultimately their life
0: yeah and another thing with this Imagine this, or think about this. If a pastor got up before communion and just read this paragraph every time before they took the Lord's Supper, some of those people aren't coming back next week. Yeah. Because you stand up there and say, hey, all ignorant and ungodly people are unfit to enjoy this communion with Christ. And you can explain to them when you get down, here, just reading the whole chapter or this whole paragraph and say, all those who receive this supper unworthily are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. I've heard that read so many times at communions that when you take this in an unworthy manner, you're drinking judgment upon yourself. I've heard that read. But imagine starting with all ignorant and ungodly people are unfit to enjoy this communion, right? The next week, you're going to have people that are not going to come back. You're going to have people that are saying, "How dare that pastor or that that elder that's residing over that communion say that to me?" But that's the reality of where you are if you're an unbeliever. If you are an unbeliever, that's the state in which you are in before God. This is why we're talking about the blood and the body of Christ that was shed. His blood shed on the cross. His body was broken. And, and torn apart, and nailed to a cross, and he died to save sinners. And so, you're in this state, you are ungodly, and in, in rebellion against God, and you're an enemy of God, and the only way that that can be made right, and when you see these genuine believers partaking of that, the body and blood of Christ that was broken and the blood shed for these believers those who believe in him if you turn to Christ then you can partake of that your your sins are forgiven you are no longer an enemy but you're at peace with God you're 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 reconciled to God and you're no longer seen in the eyes of God as ignorant and ungodly but a child of God
1: yeah and that's important. So Larry's comment is I think Catholics have made this comment that people don't know you don't know any better. I'm not I'm not sure I agree with that. At least in the Catholic churches I've been to, um they're pretty they're pretty strict about only Catholics taking of the Lord's Supper, the or the Eucharist as they call it. Um, mainline denominations that's a different story I think you would see that m- probably more in your liberal Presbyterian li- liberal the Episcopalian um, liberal um, Lutheran churches um, I'm not so sure about Catholic churches at least the ones that I attended or have attended um, I have family that was Catholic so we regularly or my grandmother's I have a grandmother that was Catholic and also I've regularly been in Catholic churches um, growing up. So that was not as they were, they fenced the table mm. um, pretty well.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we made it, we made it through uh, chapter 30 of the 1689 next week the goal would be to get chapter 31 and 32 completed. uh, If we can, if not, then we'll just move out another week. But I think we can, I think there's about three paragraphs in 31, three or four. And I think there's three and then three in 32 or maybe four, something like that. So it's three or four. So it's, it's not a lot, but it, it does take time obviously And I think we could probably squeeze them both in next week. I mean, we did eight paragraphs here. I think we could do that. Uh, We'll try to do that and then get that uh, completed and wrapped up. I mean, what a joy that would be to have the 1689 completed and wrapped up. Um, And like I said, uh, in the beginning of the show, we've got a lot that's coming up. Uh, We're trying to schedule that informal debate that was supposed to happen on Thursday that we were unable to do. Uh, We've got another informal debate coming up in February Um, and uh, we've got some other things lined up, some other programs that we will also, um, get out there. And so, uh, yeah, a lot going on, Mike, uh, any, you've been out for a couple weeks, any, uh, thing, last thing you want to say on your mind, anything you want to throw out there before we uh, wrap this one up?
1: I think, I remember, I remember you mentioning this, so I'm just going to bring it up that, At the completion of the series, so within the next couple weeks, we'll be giving away a modern exposition of the 1689. Am I not correct? Yeah. Yeah, so you're going to want to listen to figure out how you can win a modern exposition of the 1689.
0: All right. So that's been uh, G220 Radio for tonight. Let me see here. Hopefully, that plays when I click it. All right. God bless and good night. All right. Okay. Let's see. over this.